0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the building. We made it. Barely, but we made it. I don't know. You can't trust everything on the internet, but I don't know how true this is, but I read something online, so it's probably true, that Father's Day is the 20th most celebrated holiday in America. I didn't even know there were 19 other holidays... I mean, the gap between Father's Day and Mother's Day is pretty wide. We got some, uh, some, some making up to do, fellas. But, um, man, I- I'm going to say a couple things about Father's Day. A lot could be said about Father's Day. Um, I'll just say three brief things. Um, one, I-, I really can't think about, I know for sure, there's, there's not one relationship in my life that has formed me and my brother as much as my pops. <clears throat> so Let me look over here so I don't start crying. Uh, So I I think really one of the reasons that I wanted to be a dad and it's such an opportunity that fathers have to shape the lives of our children, um, it's a profound, profound, profound gift and opportunity. And uh, we we would do very well, fathers, to remember the opportunity that um, they're not our kids, they belong to God, but we get to steward this responsibility of fatherhood uh, in their lives and it's an amazing responsibility. Uh, two, to everybody in here uh, who's, you've lost your father, uh, and today is a day where you're kind of thinking about the void that is there, or maybe there was a void there when he was alive, and, or maybe there's a void there now that he has passed. Uh, yeah, we, we love y'all. I'm glad y'all came today, uh, notwithstanding the, whatever sadness you may c- carry about that. And also, I, I really want to say something to any dads in here who you don't have the greatest relationship with your kids. Um, Today might be a life-changing day for your kids if you do this one thing. Reach out to them and apologize for your shortcomings. You probably won't get an immediate amazing response. Um, You might not get a response for two years, who knows? I don't know the depth of the challenge that exists. But having spent time on this side of the table, uh, being a pastor, um, one of the things that kids and adults yearn to hear is to clear the air and to feel like they can restart this relationship um, and really, the thing that's going to pave the way for that is owning up to that. And you would be leading your family by being an example of asking for forgiveness and grace uh, from them. And it might feel weak or it might feel opposite on Father's Day to reach out to them and say sorry, but trust me when I tell you, it might save your relationship. So let me pray for us before we hop into today's message. God, our Father, out of the many ways that you are described in Scripture, a healer in our rock, our Lord, you have graciously also given this, us this analogy of a father. So Lord, may we have the audacity to believe that you are who you say you are, that we can trust you, that you will provide for us. In Jesus' let me pray, amen. I was talking to some friends the other day, and one of the reasons that I really believe that the Bible is true, partly is because of the type of things that it includes, the type of stories that it includes about the people who would be like the heroes of the story. It's like when the Bible talks about people, whether it's Abraham in the Old Testament, the father of the faith, it includes all of these details that are downright embarrassing about his life. When you get to the New Testament, they do the same thing. The authors give you a real account of the life of the people who were the pillars, the most popular, the most followed people in the early church, and one of those people is Peter. Peter was a person who followed Jesus closely, and we get to see all throughout Scripture how many times Peter fell short in a lot of great detail. Around Easter time, we talked about Peter as someone who was following Jesus, and Peter had a lot of nerve. Peter would go to Jesus and say, Jesus, if everybody falls away, I'm not. Your boy is still here with you. Jesus looked at him with love in his eyes and said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And certainly before that rooster crowed three times, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And yet Peter was able to receive something that I hope all of us are continuing to receive from Jesus on a daily basis. It's this forgiveness from Jesus where Jesus does not hold Peter's shortcomings and failures and his sin against him. And Peter has so much of this beautiful interaction with Jesus. He spends years where he is taught by Jesus. He has the best teacher in all of humanity that, to ever walk this earth in Jesus. And Peter had these amazing spiritual encounters. Pentecost Sunday was a couple of weeks ago. And Pentecost Sunday was this day where we sing the song of I Hear the Chains Fallen, but Peter actually did hear the rumble of the Holy Spirit blaze through and tongues of fire descended. And Peter and everybody who was gathered with him was filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes out then with this boldness and this courage and this amazing encounter with God. And he goes out and he preaches and 3,000 people become Christians that day because of his preaching. Peter, the restored failure, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, is doing amazing things. Now, in American storytelling, it would end there. But biblical narratives don't end in the nice, neat, sanitized parts. They also include the realness of what was going on in Peter's life. We see Peter reemerge in the book of Galatians, but it's this time it's not as the one who would preach a, a message and thousands of people will be saved. It's not the Peter who would be restored by Jesus. This time, again, we get to see Peter and his shortcomings. Peter was infected, and it was the disease please. Peter, we see this time, his shortcoming was not about anything really um, related to denying Jesus. This time, Peter started to become afraid of what other people thought of him. And by being afraid of what other people thought of him, it dragged him away from faithfulness to Jesus. So think about it like this. Think about a person who has had the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth. He has had the most profound and deep spiritual experiences, and yet, even he was um, susceptible to being pulled away from what it means to follow Jesus faithfully by something so ordinary and so simple as the negative opinion of other people. And so today, we're going to look at a, a, a scripture in Galatians where we're, we're, looking about, we're looking at Peter, this great pillar of the faith, who is embroiled in a controversy, and he is in this controversy because he is afraid of what other people will think of him. Now, this is why this is so important. If Peter is susceptible to that, how much more are you and I susceptible to that? All of us, one of the great dangers in your faith, in your formation, whether you are brand new to church, this is your first time back in in decades, and you're, you're just getting back now, and you're trying to figure out, well, what does it look like for me to move forward in following Jesus? Let me tell you right now, straight up and down, One of the biggest obstacles to you following Jesus is what other people think of you. Because there will hit a point, there will hit several points in your life where you will hit a point of decision. And one decision will be faithfulness towards God, and the other road will be the good opinion of other people. And make no mistake about it, that is an incredibly, incredibly um, strong pull. So Galatians 2, let me read the scripture And then I'll give us a little context of what's going on. We're going to pick up in verse 11. It says, But when Peter came to Antioch, some translations say Cephas. Um, They're the same, um, same name, same person. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Listen to what Peter does. He regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. Because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, if you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So there's a lot going on uh, here in this text. And let me catch some of y'all up um, who aren't uh, who weren't here the first couple of weeks of Galatians. In the early church, the biggest controversy was not about sex or politics; it was about circumcision. And the reason it was about circumcision was because there were these two groups of people that were coming together to form one new Jesus-following movement. There were Jewish Christians who were born and raised in the traditions of the Mosaic Law, and they later came to realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that had been prophesied to them all throughout their scripture. They gladly received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they had their entire lifetime of traditions that have formed them and shaped them. They were people who had been circumcised in accordance with Mosaic law. Now, you have another group of people who were the Gentiles, and Gentiles basically is everybody who was not a Jew. So we had these two groups of people, Gentiles, in this case, would have grown up under Roman traditions and Roman laws and Roman religions or no religion at all, and Romans would not have been circumcised, for example. And so the Jewish Christians started this whole thing like, yo, no, 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 no. If you really want to rock with Jesus, you have to kind of go back to square one, get circumcised, follow the Jewish tradition and the Jewish law, and then you can follow Jesus. But what Paul comes in in the middle of this, and he comes into the middle of this debate and he settles a score once and for all. And Paul is so emphatic about saying that you cannot add anything to what Jesus has done on the cross. So we're gonna talk about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the law, and it's a very big topic, but I'll just say one brief thing about it. When you think about the law in scripture, the law is basically what does it say you have to do? The Old Testament is filled with laws. There are different types of laws, and I wanna draw your attention to that. So there are moral laws, Moral laws are don't kill, don't lie, don't root for Tom Brady. There are things that at all times and periods and and periods and, and, and eras of life will be wrong. And then there's a ceremonial law. The ceremonial law was the way that Jewish people needed to cleanse themselves so that they can approach a holy and a perfect and a righteous God. So you have all of these ceremonial laws which dictated and determined how you had to go to temple to come into the presence of God. When Jesus went to the cross, the scripture says there was a veil that separated the presence of God from the presence of people. That veil was torn in two. And scripture tells us that if you follow Jesus, we no longer need to follow the ceremonial laws. He has made our passageway to God a wide open highway. And so we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. And find grace in our time of need, not because of how well we have washed our hands, but because of how well he has washed our sin on the cross. And so Paul is tight. He's like, yo, do not try to add ceremonial laws, because by doing that, you're negating what Jesus has done on the cross. You're saying that what he did doesn't matter. So, you know, we all know that feeling, or some of us know that feeling, especially when I was in college, of uh, swiping your debit card and you like, 75% 75% chance this does not go through. <laughs> and you need backup because you know, like, you don't know what's in that account, um, and you would just be praising the Lord if, it, uh, if they let you go with your groceries or your Wendy's. But, um, like, if someone has a lot of money, and we talked about this a little bit last week, like, if somebody really has a lot of money, they put the card down, they pay for the meal, waiter comes back, they sign everything, and then you put out your card later and put a deck on the table, like, that's insulting to them because they've already paid for it. They have an abundance of wealth that has allowed them to pay for it. And trying to add your little card to it after, it really does negate and insult what has already been paid. It's already been paid. There's no reason to revisit a bill, an account that has already been erased. Scripture says in Colossians that Jesus has erased the certificate of death debt that was against us. I heard one theologian say it like this. The only thing you can add to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary in the first place. And so Paul comes into the middle of this controversy, and he is, he is wanting to be crystal clear. The moral laws about how we should live our life to honor God and honor ourselves and to love people, those are still binding. The ceremonial laws are gone. So I don't want anybody to get circumcised, because being circumcised means you're going backwards and you are negating what the cross of Christ has done for us on our behalf. And Paul, Paul knew this. And Peter knew this, so much so, actually, Peter was living like this. He was living free, and he ate with the Gentiles. But then, certain men came from James, and Peter started to feel the pressure of people pleasing. Now, really quickly, um, to eat with people then, it's not like New York City restaurants where we're all six inches from each other uh, in a restaurant. To eat with a group of people meant you identified with them, so. Peter identified with the Gentiles that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. But then people came from James, these uh, Jewish Christians, and then he changed up. But y'all, I don't want to be too hard on Peter because I can really empathize with him. Uh, I certainly know about what it means to be addicted to other people's approval of me. In different times of my life, it's, it's presented its way itself in, in different ways. So that certainly there were times where I wanted people to like me. I would stress so much about a sermon. I felt like every single sermon had to be that I have a dream speech, because I was so concerned about what people thought of me. They need to feel like I'm profound. And so I would do so much sermon writing, and I would have like 19 drafts, because I'm like, "Oh, that's cool, but it's not, it don't really hit, you know what I'm saying? Nobody's gonna retweet that. <laughs> and honestly, it, it's, a, it's a version of incarceration. I was like locked up by other people's opinions of me, and I needed to hear, Jordan, you're doing great. You're the best. You're all of these different things. Very briefly, I think affirmation is actually a really beautiful thing to do to people. Affirmation is truth-telling. You're telling people true things about them. I don't think Christians affirm people enough to bless those who are close to us to love them. We say the kindest things about people at their funerals. Tell them to their face today. Text them. Just say, "Yo, I love you, man. You're great. This is something beautiful I see in you. So I don't want to negate you giving people affirmation or telling me I did a great job after today. Um, <laughs> but I, I certainly understand it. Uh, so much so that I would agonize um, in really unhealthy ways. Uh, I would overwork so that I could brag about how much I was working so that people would think well of me. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to be looking at Peter, but I, I want us looking at ourselves as well. And check it I, I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only person in this room who struggles with the approval of other people. So here's some symptoms that you might be also, like me, uh, infected with the disease to please. Uh, you really want to make yourself impressive, right? So like you want to be impressive. You, you, you really want people to look at you and to be impressed by your feats, whether it's Your kids and how well they're doing. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I give I can't speak for other cultures, but in my culture, before you go to the store, your parents give you that same speech. Now listen, when we get in here, don't ask me for nothing. And you better not, you better not act out when we walk in this door. Now, a piece of that is you want your kids to be grateful and you don't want them be entitled, but there's also a big piece of it for me at least, that. I want to be an impressive father, and I don't want you to see my kid rolling around in the middle of the aisle because we won't get him a fruit roll-up. And so we, we want to make ourselves uh, impressive. Another sign is you run away from criticism. Now, here's a really beautiful thing. We're, gonna, we're talking a lot today about the opinion, the opinion and the approval of other people, but I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that there, God has put people in your life to help you st- grow in areas in which you and I have blind spots. A blind spot is an area in your life, an insufficiency, a deficiency, a weakness, a sin, that you, by nature of it being a blind spot, you can't see it. And some of us run away from criticism so much that when we have people who are close to us, who love us, who try to point out areas of our life that we are falling short, we run away from the criticism. Why is that? Because there's something inside of us that needs the approval of other people. So when someone tries to tell us the truth, even if it's a kind and gentle way of saying it, we run away from it. We have a hard time saying no to people. You feel guilty or stressed if you do something that other people don't approve of. You fear rejection and conflict. Your free time is filled up with the needs of other people. So you're stressed and crazy and then your friend texts a group chat and says can someone help me move and you'd like the button like yeah I can help you what is that like what's rooted in this why are you doing all these different things you equate other people's disapproval of you with something being wrong with you you know some of you right now are in professions and the only reason you are in that profession is because your parents wanted you to become that where my Nigerians at And so today we're looking at this um, scripture and really wanting us to break free. And freedom from people-pleasing is not like God's deliverance of his people in Egypt where you would never see that enemy ever again. The freedom of people-pleasing happens every single morning. It's like a new mercy every single day that every single day you have to want, you have to make sure that you are living your life, living your day for an audience of one to hear well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's what I found over and over again. It's impossible to live to hear well done if you're living for the good opinion of other people. But before we really unpack the scripture some more, I want to give a couple of disclaimers because I want to make sure nobody hears me saying something that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you because we are social beings. We were created to live in community, um, and some people are just mean And they use stuff like this just to be meaner. Like, that's not what we're talking about today. Um, Proverbs 22 and 1 says something that's so interesting to me. It says, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Solomon is saying, like, yo, if you had a choice between the bag or a good name, choose a good name. I don't know if I can do that, but this is God's word for us, so I'll submit to what God's word says. So it, it is really important for us that we have a good name, that you live your life in such a way that is, it's beautiful, it's, 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 it honors God, it's God-glorifying, it's something that's attractive in, in some ways. Uh, there's another scripture where Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians, we are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, here's what Paul says, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. So Christians should make sure that we consider that we're living a life that's honorable and beautiful in such a way that we are not unnecessarily living in the disfavor of people. However, when you and I encounter situations where there's a divide in the road, that you have to make a decision that is either going to make you faithful to God or you will be in the disfavor of people. There is something about the approval of other people that keeps us locked into situations that we shouldn't be in. You know, there's so many times people are in relationships and different things that we're doing with our time and our money and our life that we would have ended things a long time ago, but we're just worried about what other people would say about us if we did it. What is that inside of us that so craves the opinion and the good opinion of other people? So a couple of things from the scripture that I want us To really be paying attention to about the danger of seeking the approval of other people. Number one, seeking the approval from other people, from people can cause you to deviate from God's will. So this is what we see happening here directly in the scripture. Verse 11, it says, but when Peter Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12, for he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. And I want you thinking about that. Paul is saying, yo, Peter regularly did this, and the only thing that changed was another group of people came, and then he deviated immediately from that. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. That sounds like the worst party in the world to go to, the circumcision party. <laughs> By circumcision party, it means like the group, the delegation of people that were, that were promoting circumcision as faithfulness to God. Here's the thing. It's really easy to read this text and say, oh, that sounds like preposterous. That sounds ridiculous. It's a small thing. Like, if you want to do that, go for it. If not, don't. Um, but we all have our circumcision party. We all have a group of people to whom you live, and you really want their good opinion of you. And this scripture serves as a warning to us. It's a warning to us that even if it shows us a person, a man, Peter, who had literally followed Jesus physically for years, he sat at Jesus' feet. Jesus would take him and do things. He saw Jesus perform miracles he had the highest spiritual experiences, and even he was swayed. What does this tell us about ourselves? You and I are not immune from this. Here's the thing that I've noticed so much, and please allow me. Um, for those of you who are new to Renaissance and you don't know me well, um, I hope that you hear this in the greatest heart uh, of someone. If I haven't earned your trust yet to listen to me, I hope that I earn it eventually. But I want you to hear this. You and I need to be surrounded. Not we, should, we need to be surrounded in God's word, and God's people. I have never seen anybody who is a growing, thriving Christian that is not routinely immersed in scripture and in God's community, uh, and, and in scriptural community. You know, Lester and I, we talk about really some of the things that grieve us around the times we do our DNA groups. So our DNA groups are the types of community gatherings we do where for a period of about eight or nine weeks, you come together with a group of other people to build strong relationships around scripture. And there's so many times we hear from groups that, oh, you know, the attendance went down just because it rained for 13 minutes and people just didn't go. They take it as a take it or leave it if they don't have better plans already that day or that night. And here's what I've seen happen all the time. When you drift away from community, you drift away from God. I have never seen a person who has remained resolute, steadfast, strong in their faith, and they're by themselves. Bad things happen to all of us when we're alone. And so when we announce things like soul food sessions and DNA groups, it's not just because we want to do an event. It's because we know, I know. Over the years, one of the pains of being a pastor are the people who have attended Renaissance at some point and have drifted away. Not from Renaissance. There's a lot of great churches that they can go to, but they drift away from Jesus. Jesus. Some of that is spiritual it 's a spiritual battle that we can 't control. Other things is i 've seen the telltale signs over and over and over again. When their crowd changed, their theology changed. When their crowd changed thats when that 's when their theology changed. And so we, we deeply, deeply encourage every single person, whether it 's Renaissance or another church, that you need to be deeply invested in rhythms where you are constantly going through scripture with god 's people. Because you will feel the pull away from what it means to be faithful to follow Jesus. And if you're by yourself, I've never seen it go well. So, seeking the approval of other people, your own circumcision party can cause you to deviate from God's will. Number two, here's a really profound and interesting thing. It is highly unrealistic for you to ever expect that you can please the crowds. It is impossible. It is impossible for you to ever expect realistically, that you will have the approval of people that you're seeking after. The, thing, the people who don't like you already don't like you. They just haven't unleashed it on you yet, seriously. They already don't like you. And it's already a fickle relationship. But here's the thing. When you look at just the nature of crowds, they're fickle. When you're seeking the approval of these, this group of people, whoever they are, and some of you haven't even thought about that just yet in, in detail, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for a fool's errand because it's impossible to get. One of my favorite scriptures. I was reading it this week in my. I'm going through the Book of Luke personally, and um, listen to these verses. I'm not even going to add any commentary to them. Verse 14 in Luke. It says, "Then Jesus returned. Uh, when then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, being praised by everyone. Same chapter. Let's skip down some verses. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him off a cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. The same crowd that was praising Jesus, same chapter, they try to throw your mans off a cliff. That shows us something about the fickle nature of people. And so in order for you to have good expectations that run your life, all of us need good, solid expectations, we should expect that groups of people will be fickle and that we could never always just earn their approval. They will change with the weather. And so since you could never earn their approval, you shouldn't be seeking after it like that in the first place. Instead, we should be seeking the approval of the one who has paid our debt. So number number three, the gospel allows us to live for the one who paid our debt. The gospel allows us to live for the one who paid our debt. You know, the book of Galatians is all about recovering and discovering and rediscovering what the gospel message is. And the crazy thing about people pleasing is, when you're trying to like, earn the approval of other people, whether it's in something you say, whether it's how you appear, whether it's how successful you are, it's so draining because you're constantly trying to earn something but the gospel says, you don't, have to, you don't have to earn my love. You don't have to earn it because you could never earn it in the first place. While, you were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You don't have to earn my love. That feeling of rejection that you feel, that you're not going to get that from me. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and reject you for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. The gospel tells us that you are his. You were bought with a price so we can honor God with our lives and our bodies. The gospel tells us that everything that is happening in our lives right now, it comes through the hands of a gracious God. And so even the painful, even the confusing things are for our good and for his eventual glory. And so I want us thinking right now about a number of things, but specifically one of the most helpful things that I've been doing, and I would encourage you to do it, particularly if this message is hitting home with you, is at night, just pull out your iPhone and like open the Notes app and think about your day. Think about the times where you've done something to gain the approval of other people and just write it down. Don't, give, don't judge it, don't give it any commentary. Just take note of all the times when you're trying to earn the approval of people and I want you to contrast that and let Jesus interrogate those presuppositions that you have because deep down inside what we're saying is I'm not lovable unless I have earned it from this group of people And so I want us to be thinking right now, what is Jesus' invitation to us? What's Jesus' invitation to you? For some of you, it's it's boldness. You know, I I meet with a lot of people, and a lot of times people, they ask me for prayer. Nobody's going to ask me today because I'm saying this, but um, they ask me for prayer, and I say, and usually sometimes in situations I say, well, do you need clarity or do you need courage? A lot of times we know what to do, we just don't have the courage to do it just yet. And so for you, I'd want to, Ask you, what is Jesus' invitation to you? Where are the areas in your life that you need to exercise courage and to distance yourself and to make a bold decision, a wise decision, but also a bold one, what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, to no longer need the the approval of other people. Last thing I'll say, and we're going to pray and get out of here. One of the ways that the enemy tricks us is by thinking, making us think that what's going to happen to us is going to be unbearable. And I think... Peter, in Galatians, thought that the disapproval of this group of people would have been unbearable for him to tolerate, so he went along with the flow. And one thing that I found over and over again in my own life is that I was so afraid of the backlash, and it actually made me stronger. I was so afraid of the disapproval, and then when it happened, it didn't hurt like I thought it would. So the enemy, he wants you to believe that following Jesus will destroy you. Jesus is, God is a good father. Nothing he calls you to do will destroy you, but it might refine you, it might hurt a little bit in the process. So let me pray for us as you are thinking about what is God's invitation to you right now. God, our good father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that we are not subject to the whims and the crowds of of people who might give us their approval one day and take it away the next. Lord, I pray that we would be people who can follow you. I pray that we would be people, Lord, who can hear your telling us, well done, my good and faithful servant, as the number one driver in our lives and that that would humble us and drive us. Father, help us to believe that we are yours. You are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us, even in the midst of disappointing other people. God, give us courage to follow you faithfully and boldly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.